Welcome back to the Sharp End Podcast, a podcast aimed to minimize future incidents by way of storytelling. Real people sharing real stories. I'm Ashley, the creator, producer, and host of this show. If you enjoy my podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member. It takes a lot of time, energy, love, and effort to continue to make each episode. I've been doing this for you for over six and a half years, and I want to make this a sustainable project for myself. If you became a Patreon at $5 a month, that's only $60 a year. If all 50,000 people that listen to my show donated that amount of money, I could potentially quit my day job and make this a full-time thing. So don't make me beg, but let me give you a gentle reminder that your donations go a very long way for me. Thank you so much to all of my fans that have donated thus far. Many guests have told me that better communication could have helped prevent their accident, so I was stoked when Rocky Talkie reached out to the Sharp End to support this show and all of you. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. I have loved these radios, and they were especially critical for me this spring when I hurt my knee splitboarding on Thompson Pass just outside of Valdez in my home state of Alaska. I was able to radio down and get help from my ski partner. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. Rocky Talkie also donates $2 per radio to volunteer search and rescue teams around the country. If you need a radio, check these out and make sure to use code SHARPEND at rockytalkie.com for 10% off their radios. Your purchase will also support this show. This show is also supported by the American Alpine Club and Desert Mountain Medicine. Today, I talk with Tori, who had a bad fall on the Collegiate Peaks in Colorado. Her and some friends wanted to do a quick ultralight trip up the Ellingwood Ridge on La Plata. It was well within their ability level, but as you all know from this show, accidents can happen to anyone. And in this case, Tori will tell you about hers. So um, yeah, I'm Tori. Um, I'm a 21 year old. I live in Denver, Colorado, um, and I'm an outdoor enthusiast, I guess I would say, but um, I'm a huge climber and um, recently had gotten into some trail running and was training for a 50K. Um, yeah, I like, love to go scramble up in the flat irons and um, camp and travel and um, all things mountains and outdoors. Cool. And Denver, Colorado, that must be a cool, a cool spot to live. Yeah, the access is incredible here. I'm actually um, originally from the Midwest, um, middle of nowhere, Iowa. So it's it's a huge change. It's been really exciting to be out here. And what moved you to Denver, Colorado? Um, so I actually came out here for school. Um, I transferred schools um, to pursue a music business degree um, at the University of Colorado, Denver. They have a really good program for it. What year are you in right now? Uh, I actually graduated last May, so um, oh, I've been cool. out for a Congrats. while. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to be done. I'm glad I got out before all the COVID things happened. But well, so what are you doing with your time now? Um, so I am pursuing a career in freelance photography. Um, I have kind of started dipping my toe into the commercial side of things and um, working with athletes and. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, I also work part-time at Movement Climbing and Fitness. Yeah, love that place. Cool. And so what are we going to be talking about today? Um, so 19 days ago now. 19 um, days ago. So yeah. let's see, it's it's July 8th today that we're getting the interview. 
So sometime in July or sometime in June. Yeah, it was uh, just end of June, June 26th. So two Saturdays ago. 26th, 2021. Yeah. um, I was doing Ellingwood Ridge with uh, a group of buddies and um, Ellingwood Ridge. Where is that? Um, so that's up in Leadville. Um, it's a route to get to um, a 14er, the peak uh, La Plata. Plata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've climbed um, La Plata. And yeah. I've actually done Ellingwood Ridge, too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Um, honestly, was not a bad place to hang out for um, a couple hours sitting on the side of a mountain. But, um, yeah, it was. It's it's beautiful. And this time of year is really great for um, getting out into the Alpine. So. And Leadville, Leadville, just so listeners know, that's uh, Leadville's the highest town in the United States, sitting at ten thousand two hundred feet. And so, sounds like you're going to go climb La Plata via Ellingwood Ridge. Yes, um, and La Plata is yep. a fourteener, so fourteen thousand feet. Just so the listeners know that. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had gone up the night before um, and camped with some friends, and had kind of planned to um, make a whole weekend out of it. We. Um, some of us were going to go do Ellingwood Ridge. Some of, um, the other half of our group was going to go do Belford and Oxford. Um, the great thing about Leadville is there's so many peaks, um, Mm -hmm. really concentrated up there. So you can kind of do a bunch of peaks. Um, and I had actually planned on doing Missouri on Sunday on the way home. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of going to be a weekend of peak bagging, but, um, ended up not doing that um and being flown off uh the mountain after taking a fall um and ended up at St. Anthony's um Saturday afternoon but uh yeah it's kind of a lot there so what happened um so we were doing more of a class four class five route um on Ellingwood Ridge that route um you can kind of turn it into uh, what, how hard, I guess, you want it to be. Um, so it's originally rated class three if you stick um, pretty specifically to the route, but we had chosen to kind of meander and um, we're seeking out a little bit of a more um, scrambly day, I guess. So we were about, I think, four miles in. So we had been on the ridge probably for about 30 minutes um, at this point. And um, the ridge is kind of undulating, so there's a lot of up and down, and um, I was doing a down climb section. And leading up to that point throughout the day, on the ridge, up until that point, there was kind of a lot of loose rock that we were noticing, which isn't uncommon by any means, especially um, up in the Alpine and um, at this point in the year, just because of how much rainfall there's been and things are just really loose up there. So um, we definitely were aware that things were loose, but um, on a probably like a class five down climb section, I went for a right handhold and um, had kind of had some high feet and was in not a great position um, and knew that I wasn't, but were you, you know, up? was we were not, uh-uh. we were going ultralight, <laughs> trying to just go as fast as possible. And who's we? So it was me and um, three other guys that I'm really good friends with. Uh, one of them uh, has been a partner, training partner of mine for um, the past couple of months. And so, um, yeah, we had done uh, a lot of flat iron stuff together and um, some running. So yeah, we were like pretty comfortable with knowing what each other's ability levels were. Um, He's definitely a stronger runner and just like scrambler alpinist than I am. But at this point in the day, I had kind of gotten a little bit in front and um, I have a little bit more climbing experience um, than the rest of the group did. So I was felt comfortable being in front and kind of leading the 
the more technical, I guess, climbing sections. So yeah, at this point, at the this class five down climb section, um, I was kind of in a precarious position and went for a right hand, kind of started freaking out a little bit, um, scrambling to to just find something that I can grab because a lot of the things that I were was you know, trying to reach for looked super loose. The position I was in didn't have a great, um, I wasn't very, didn't feel very stable, I guess. Um, and I knew that everything around me was really kind of loose and sketchy. Um, and so not only was I not super comfortable with where I was positioned, but, you know, didn't know what around me I could rely on. Um, but you know, (laughs) it's hard because, um, I think at that point, I had gotten so comfortable with being uncomfortable in situations like that and just working to figure it out anyways. Um, in the flat irons, there's some down climbing sections and I just, you know, you get uncomfortable and it's kind of a common thing to just try and continue to work through it. Um, so as opposed to, you know, climbing back up and going a different way, I chose to continue to try and keep going. Yeah. The hold that I ended up grabbing with my right hand just fell out, uh, of the kind of cliff face that I was going down. Um, and next thing you know, I was tumbling down, um, hit feet first pretty hard. Um, and then kind of flew. Um, and I just remember being upside down and flying through the air for a long time. Um, it definitely felt like I wasn't ever going to stop. Um, and so when I finally did land, I landed on my stomach um and I don't really remember a whole lot of the fall other than just that feeling of when is this gonna end when is this gonna exactly yeah um and so they said that I because they had all been they were behind me so they saw the whole thing but they said that I um hit feet first and then flipped and hit my back um pretty hard um and yeah how far did you end up falling um so I think it was about 40 to 50 feet total um, I'm not sure like at what point in that I hit my legs or any of that, but, um, where I landed was 40 to 50 feet below where I had fallen from, I suppose. Yeah. So anyways, I guess I, I landed on my stomach and, um, was super glad at first, I guess, to be stopped. Um, thought, okay, this isn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And remember moving to try and get up right away and, my shoulder popped immediately and my leg just did not feel right. I had a really tough time moving it and trying to get it out on the other side of me so I could kind of sit up. Eventually got myself around and then just realized that things were not right and started screaming. And um, one of the uh, other guys in the group actually um, had taken a different route um, to get down. So he was a little bit in front of us, kind of down below actually where I had fallen to. Um, so he came up right away and I had some pretty deep lacerations on my, um, head, on my eyebrow and behind my ear. So he, um, came up right away and was compressing those, um, with some gloves and, um, a buff that we basically just wrapped around and, um, Were you wearing a helmet? I wasn't, uh uh-uh. Um, like I said, we kind of were trying to go pretty ultra light. Another factor is that we knew that there was supposed to be weather later that day. So our goal was to just go as quickly as possible. And it was something that we all thought we were pretty comfortable with in terms of ability level. So yeah, we really didn't even foresee, I guess, there being any discomfort or issue in terms of like risk or 
safety at that point. But again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I definitely would be wearing a helmet now, um, especially because helmets are not heavy and not that big of a deal to um, bring along or strap on. So right, exactly. And with La Plata or the Alpine just having so much loose rock, you know, anything can mm-hmm. break off with you know lots of rain and then it warms up and. Um, or people climbing above you, they can kick rocks down. So yeah, Absolutely. But, um, that's a good learning though, that that you're going to take and move forward is just to wear a helmet next time. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I think too, like, I kind of realized, um, I had done some big Alpine days like that before, like, um, I was not necessarily new to the, the 14er, um, you know, game of things. But I think I had gotten so used to being really comfortable on, you know, doing fast things in the flat irons and um, scrambling with a small pack and minimal gear and just trusting kind of like my body to get myself through that, that I became so complacent to what the risk really was. And, you know, like a five, four down climb on the first flat iron can be a little bit different than a five, four down climb up in the Alpine. There's just like a lot more um, like risk factors, I guess, that I did not take into consideration and definitely should have. So yeah, I guess, you know, it's easy to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that was something I, I really liked to do because it makes you feel like you're pushing your limits. But um, I think, you know, discomfort is often also a really good sign of risk and something that you shouldn't just ignore. So you're, so you're sitting there and one of the three guys came to help and is now sitting with you and uh, putting pressure on some of those lacerations on your head. Yeah. And what, ha- what happens from here? Yeah. So um, the other two guys uh, made it down and they ended up going down, I think the same way that the, the first guy had come down because they obviously saw what happened and kind of bailed and um, were smart to go down the other way. So they got down to me probably four or five minutes um, after the first guy did. And there was, only one other group that we had seen up there that day that was a bit in front of us. And so they came back um, and looped around towards us because I'm sure that they heard um, me screaming. But so they looped back as well. We were super lucky. Everything that happened that day was just incredibly lucky, I feel like. But um, they had a ski EMT in their group and she was carrying a a splint with her as well as some gauze and bandages and um, a little bit of Tylenol. So she right away um, kind of used the splint to support my leg and they helped me get into a better location because where I was at was pretty um, steep and loose still. Um, So we moved over to um, a little bit more secure ledge and um, yeah, just kind of like braced everything as, as well as we could for the time being. And then I remember looking up um, one of the people in that other group actually was somebody that I knew um, and was super strange because I looked up and, you know, he came up and was like, is everybody okay? Like, what's going on? And I saw who it was and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh my gosh, Tori, like, are you okay? So that was super strange too, because it was just like, I had no idea what was going on at that point. And I was like, okay, am I seeing things right? Like, is this actually happening? Like a little bit confused there. Uh, so yeah, eventually we called search and rescue as well. Um, and how did you call search and rescue? So again, another lucky thing, we all had full service, um, which was really incredible. Uh, luckily also the, 
that group that came back had an NRH device on them. Um, so had we not had service, we still would have been able to reach somebody. But basically, we called Search and Rescue, and they got our information. Did you call them via 911, or did you have a direct line? Or uh, I believe we called them via 911. I wasn't the one who made the call. Um, my friend did, but yeah, I believe that he called via 911 and um, was transferred through. And then they basically just told us, like, all right, well, stay where you're at. Like, send us a pin if you can, and we will like call you when we start figuring things out or like when we have more information. And at that point, we just all kind of sat there and waited for what felt like a long time because we really didn't have any more information other than just that they were doing the best that they could and working on it. So we probably sat there for uh, 45 minutes before we heard anything back. And they told us they had assembled a ground team that they were going to try and send in. Um, and then they were also um, working on a helicopter to try and figure all of that out. So the first person on scene was a flight for life paramedic. While we were kind of waiting after they told us that they were, you know, getting things assembled, there were helicopters flying like everywhere. Like I think there were probably three or four of them that were circling, trying to figure out a way or a place to land. There was like a medevac. And then I think um, like the National Guard was doing some circling around. One of my friends, actually, who was still down at Twin Lakes, which is um, where the trailhead starts and where we were camping, called us and was like, hey, like, is everything okay? Like, we're seeing these helicopters. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, yeah, like, we're, that's us. Like, we're waiting for them. And so luckily, they kind of were able to kind of, like, manage things down there and um, help out in that way and just be prepared for, I guess, Uh, anything that they could help with down there but yeah so eventually they the flight for life paramedic got in and um, he was dropped off about 45 minutes away um, hike wise from where we were at so two of the people in my group went to go find him basically and lead him back to where we were at so he came and um, got me into like a blanket and um, like a better a bigger splint and um, you know gave me some like actual pain meds at that point and kind of had let us know like the the medevac can't actually land here um like we're not going to be able to get you out via the medevac from where you're at and it doesn't look like there's a good place for us to take you to do that so he was communicating with his partner who was in the medevac at that point um and uh a little while after that the uh, search and rescue guy showed up paramedic showed up and he kind of uh was saying the same thing but they um put me in a like a basket, I think is what they call it. And we're kind of able to shift me over to a different position. And um, the Flight for Life paramedic had a connection with the National Guard. So um, we were super grateful because he um, was able to get a Blackhawk sent in. So the Blackhawk came and actually had to like pick me up via the basket off the off the side of the mountain, which was honestly really epic and something that I was very kind of excited about at the time, um, I guess. But they the um search and rescue guy had mentioned to us that you know we were really really lucky that that guy had the connection and that national guard was able to come in because he said that he had actually done a rescue before off of ellingwood ridge and had to um hike somebody out on like the stretcher basket basically and it was a 14 hour mission to get off the wow. mountain yeah so at this point we had only been up there for three and a half or four hours before i got plucked off um 
which was really, really lucky. Uh, and yeah, just, I'm incredibly grateful that they were, everything worked out as it did. Cause I, just the 10 or 12 feet or so that they moved me in that stretcher was terrifying to me. Cause it was kind of a loose talus side of the mountain and just, yeah, it was not enjoyable by any means. So I can only imagine what a 14 hour hike out with that would be like, but well, it would be exhausting for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was super grateful, too, just um, the whole day that the, everybody who was there was so willing to help and did so without any question. Um, and, you know, like, I think another huge thing that I learned from all of that was you really have to, like, know and be comfortable with the people that you're going on a mountain with and know their background too exactly yeah like I was just super grateful everybody there was super calm and collected and like super action driven and um you know wasn't afraid to to do what they knew would help um and I think that made all the difference because you know when you're sitting there and looking down at your leg and it's not in the shape that it's supposed to be like just having people there who know what they're doing and can tell you like, look, like here's what I'm guessing is going to happen. Like we're going to stay here with you the whole time. We may be here for eight hours. We may be here for longer, but like everything's going to be okay. And like, yeah, just giving you hope in that, in that moment, like giving you hope. And then, you know, the fact that you guys all had cell phone service too, and being able to be connected to the world was probably also very reassuring for you. Did, did anybody in your group have any, wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder certifications um no so in my direct group no but on the other one she had an emt yes she was a ski emt um Mm -hmm. so she did like a primary evaluation just to make sure um that i wasn't going into shock or like having a concussion or anything which i didn't which was super lucky again yeah they were nice they stuck around for a little while and then um, once they kind of like knew that there was a plan set in place they did what they could to get themselves off the mountain because like I said we were all kind of worried about weather um and actually it did hail for a little while I'm remembering um some clouds moved in but we were super lucky that they mostly kind of went around us we didn't get anything too intense so well that's good that would just be a whole nother element to deal with absolutely yeah we were we were really fortunate with that um for sure because even like the days leading up to it we had all been checking the weather and it was definitely saying you know um, afternoon thunderstorms and classic Colorado. Exactly. Well, and and yeah. also you, you guys were going light, right? So you, you probably, totally. this is my, I'm making an assumption here and correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably didn't have rain gear with you because you were, you were trying to make a quick trip of it. We had a little bit. Um, so yes, we were definitely going ultralight. Um, but I had put a, um, puffy and a rain shell in my, uh, vest, my running vest. Um, and kind of like strapped it on haphazardly and was super grateful because not only did that help to keep me warm, um, but I think it also padded a huge amount of my fall um, right. and point. made a huge difference in terms of um, not having any back injuries because the, the guys when they came down definitely were saying that they were very, very worried that um, I would have back injuries just because of the way that I felt. But um, yeah, so I think it was it was definitely good that I, that I packed those. Um, and everybody else did have a couple of layers on them as well. So then, okay. So then the Black Hawk sling loads you out 
And does the Blackhawks sling load you to Twin Lakes? Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, so they actually pulled me all the way up into the Blackhawk. And then they, when we got down to Twin Lakes, they transferred me over to the medevac that took me to um, the St. Anthony's Trauma Center in Lakewood. And that was probably about mm, a 20 or 30 minute ride. It really wasn't long at all. Um, once uh, the kind of the helicopters were like, had their plan and knew what they were doing, everything happened very fast after that. So then you get to St. Anthony's in Lakewood. Yeah. Uh, and then what happens? Cause you're, you're, you're there by yourself at this point. Right. And yeah. So, um, eventually when we were on the mountainside, I ended up calling my dad cause my parents do live in Colorado and it was a call that I was definitely dreading. Um, just because I knew that, you know, they'd be worried and worried. stressed out. Um, yeah. but yeah, so he, my dad ended up meeting me at St. Anthony's. So they took me in right away and, um, you know, stripped me down and kind of started taking x-rays and, um, doing, doing their evaluations, gave me some stitches. Um, and my dad showed up shortly after. So, um, yeah, luckily I wasn't alone for too long. Were you feeling pain or did the pain meds that they gave you on the side of the mountain help minimize some of the pain that you were in? Um, so I think the adrenaline definitely helped for the first three to four hours that I was Mm -hmm. up there. They gave me, um, I think fentanyl, like right before they lifted me off, which made a huge difference. Um, so by the time that I got to the hospital, I remember being okay for the first little bit. Um, and then as soon as they started moving my leg around and trying to, um, get x-rays of everything is definitely, was definitely pretty painful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't handle it anymore. What, (laughs) what was the diagnosis? What happened to you? What happened to your leg? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, broke uh, I have a tibial plateau fracture um I have a talus fracture and a calcaneus fracture so that's a talus fracture um the talus is the the bone like in your ankle um that kind of like you articulate around so they just last Monday I had two screws put into my um, tibial plateau which is like right below your knee um and then two into my talus as well and then I also I think sprained my calf. They didn't do a whole lot of prodding around with that at that point because the bones were broken. So in terms of recovery, it didn't really make that much of a difference. Um, But they kept me in the hospital for two to three days to watch for, uh, what's it called? Compartment syndrome because everything was so swollen down there. But besides that, I uh, subluxed my shoulder, my left shoulder, cracked a rib, had a pretty big gash in my left eyebrow, um, which I was really lucky. I was wearing sunglasses. So um, I think my left eye would have been pretty beat up had I not been because the the left lens of my glasses actually shattered. And then I ripped an earring out of my right um, ear and it gashed a big hole behind my ear. So I had about eight stitches put in back there as well. Girl, Yeah, yeah. Which honestly, like, it seems like a big laundry list, but I'm really, really grateful that it's only as bad as it was. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm so grateful to not be paralyzed and to be alive and, and have a brain that works. Totally. Exactly. Like didn't get a concussion, which is super duper lucky. Yeah. So all things considered not doing so, not doing so bad. (laughs) And so this was three weeks ago from today ish. So uh, you, you are on, are you on crutches? Yeah, so right now I'm on crutches, uh, and I also have a wheelchair. I kind of, it depends on what I'm doing. I try not to crutch too much just because of um, the rib and the shoulder. But 
I can get around for now. So that's good. My parents, like I said, live in Colorado. So I've been recovering with them, which has been um, really, really helpful um, just to have that support system. There's something to be said about mom and dad when you're sick or when you're injured, right? Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yes. Well, so Tori, what are some of the lessons that you learned from this incident? Yeah. So I think, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier, but listening to that discomfort a little bit more as opposed to getting so complacent and comfortable with being discomforted. Um, I think, you know, so many of us that are into the outdoor sports get really fixated on the pain cave and pushing our limits and, um, finding your edge. Exactly. Finding that Mm -hmm. edge. And for me, unfortunately, I pushed too far, I think. And so whether that was ego, whether that was just being too comfortable, whether that was me being too stoked or combination well, you were also of all that training I'm sure. for a 50k, right? So Exactly. Yeah. You're probably yeah. looking at it as like, oh, I'm just going to push myself so I can train harder and totally. Totally. And that's definitely the headspace that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now I guess going forward, um, having a little bit more understanding and listening and really tuning into when that discomfort hits and, you know, taking in the situation that I'm in before just getting complacent or choosing to ignore it, um, I think is it going to be a huge thing for me. Um, I also kind of touched on going with people that you trust and, um, you know, like having a really good group of people that you're with just because a, that group dynamic is a huge deal. Um, but also be like with doing as much training as I was going solo was not something that I was afraid of. And I, honestly like going solo sometimes but it definitely now will force me to think twice about you know like what am I doing what are the risks is you know going solo really smart um just earlier that week I had done Kelso Ridge by myself um and was totally riding the high of that um but yeah again like I think tuning into having the right people around you is is definitely um, something I'm taking away from that. And then, well, and uh, to, and to piggyback on that, like knowing your group's dynamics, knowing your group's ability level, knowing their experience, knowing their certifications, like if they're obvious one or two or three certified, right. knowing if they're, if they have a woofer or wilderness first responder or what kind of medical background they have, or if they have any search and rescue experience, like all of that too. And, and whether or not they're comfortable with bailing or if right. they're goal driven. Also, one question that I had is you were with three guys yeah, um, and there were no other women in your group. Did you feel like having, being the only female, did that play into you pushing yourself a little bit harder, you think? Oh, definitely. Um, and I don't even necessarily know that it was about me being the only female because I think I have a tendency to hang out with guys a lot more. Um, but I think I definitely, you know, went into that day knowing that I could potentially be the slower one out of the group just because everyone else, you know, had done a lot more big mountain days and had more experience and was training harder than I was or whatever it was. Um, And so, you know, I was excited because for me, that's a challenge and a way to push myself. And I knew that I would, you know, get a really good workout in, but it definitely clouded my judgment for sure. Um, And I guess the last thing that I would say, and maybe one of the biggest things I took away from all this is just really being able to focus on gratitude. 
it's been hard for sure. Um, just mentally and emotionally after everything that happened. Um, just cause you know, I felt like before the fall I was at my peak endurance, I was super strong. Like I was probably the most fit that I feel like I've ever been in my life. And I knew that I had worked my butt off for it. Like I, I was training super hard and I was super proud of that. And so to lose that all so abruptly and kind of, you know, without any knowledge that that was going to happen, it was hard for me. And I like was heartbroken, not only that, like I had lost all that, but I had lost my ability to do the things that I loved and lost my ability to like connect with the people that I loved through those activities. And so, yeah, like it's easy to, to focus on all the things that went wrong or all the things that I can't do right now or, you know, all the things that I want to be doing right now. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I think the biggest thing is I am so grateful that A, I'm alive. B, I have an opportunity to like get back to these things eventually and I'm motivated to like recover fast and all of that. I'm super grateful that nobody else was hurt. I'm super grateful, you know, for the team that I was up there with and um, they've all done a really good job of keeping in touch and, um, you know, we've been still able to hang out and find other things to do. Yeah, there's just a lot of things to be grateful for, I guess. And so I'm trying really hard to um, focus on that as well. And, you know, I think that kind of is what's keeping me plugging and not just spiraling down into this dark hole that I think would be really hard to get out of, but gratitude for sure. Well, and I think too, you know, it's going to be a difficult road ahead of you physically, emotionally, mentally. And I think giving you, you giving yourself the space to process and heal is going to be, is going to be really important for your healing and essentially be gentle with yourself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I think it's, you know, with the gratitude comes a, a, like a aspect of just trying to be really present too with where I'm at. Um, and you know, like, like you're saying, be gentle and like, understand that, yes, I may not like exactly where I'm at right now, but that's where I'm at. And like, I can choose to dwell on everything or, you know, just be grateful for, for where I'm at and, um, what I can still do. Um, and the fact that I am still alive and, um, I think that's a that's a feeling that I don't tune into often enough or I guess rely on big mountain days, big epic mountain days to tune into. And, and it's like that feeling is still there. It's just choosing to focus on it, I guess. Thanks so much to Tori for being on the show. And thank you to Rocky Talkie, Desert Mountain Medicine, and the American Alpine Club for always supporting what I do. I also wanted to give a shout out to the female ski EMT Tori mentioned in this episode. She was carrying extra gear just in case that she ended up using for Tori, who was a total stranger. This woman had a splint, gauze and bandages, and over-the-counter medication that she used on Tori during the accident. So thank you so much for being prepared. Introducing Membership 2.0 from the American Alpine Club. Starting at just $45 a year, we've reimagined the membership experience to better serve you, wherever you may be in your climbing journey. We're the largest community of rock-scaling misfits in the country, and you belong here. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today.
Desert Mountain Medicine, innovative wilderness medicine training since 1998. DMM offers an array of courses ranging from wilderness first aid to wilderness first responder. Whether you are a backcountry enthusiast or a guide, DMM has you covered. Take 10% off any DMM course through October by using code DMMWILDMED10. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountainMedicine.com. Are you ready? If you want to show your love for my podcast, follow the Sharp Bend Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Leave a review on iTunes or become a Patreon subscriber. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.